Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. This is your host, John Hagedorn, as we embark on chapters 4 and 5 of H.P. Lovecraft's novel, The Whisperer in Darkness. And now, chapter 4. The unknown things, Akeley wrote in a script grown pitifully tremulous, had begun to close in on him with a wholly new degree of determination. The nocturnal barking of the dogs whenever the moon was dim or absent was hideous now and there had been attempts to molest him on the lonely roads he had to traverse by day. On the 2nd of August, while bound for the village in his car, he had found a tree trunk laid in his path at a point where the highway ran through a deep patch of woods, while the savage barking of the two great dogs he had with him told all too well of the things which must have been lurking near. What would have happened had the dogs had not been there? He dare not guess, but he never went out now without at least two of his faithful and powerful pack. Other road experiences had occurred on August 5th and 6th, a shot grazing his car on one occasion, and the barking of the dogs telling of unholy woodland presences on the other. On August 15th, I received a frantic letter which disturbed me greatly, and which made me wish Akeley could put aside his lonely reticence and call in the aid of the law. There had been frightful happenings on the night of the 12th, "'bullets flying outside the farmhouse, "'and three of the twelve great dogs being found shot dead in the morning. "'There were myriads of claw prints in the road, "'with the human prints of Walter Brown among them. "'Akeley had started to telephone to Brattleboro for more dogs, "'but the wire had gone dead before he had a chance to say much. "'Later he went to Brattleboro in his car, "'and learned there that linemen had found the main cable "'neatly cut at a point where it ran through the deserted hills "'north of Newfane.' but he was about to start home with four fine new dogs and several cases of ammunition for his big-game repeating rifle. The letter was written at the post office in Brattleboro and came through to me without delay. My attitude toward the matter was by this time quickly slipping from a scientific to an alarmedly personal one. I was afraid for Akeley in his remote, lonely farmhouse and half afraid for myself because of my now definite connection with this strange hill problem. The thing was reaching out, "'Would it suck me into and engulf me?' "'In replying to his letter, I urged him to seek help "'and hinted that I might take action myself if he did not. "'I spoke of visiting Vermont in person in spite of his wishes "'and of helping him explain the situation to the proper authorities. "'In return, however, I received only a telegram from Bellows Falls, "'which read thus, "'Appreciate your position, but can do nothing. "'Take no action yourself, for it could only harm both. "'Wait for explanation.' Henry Akeley. But the affair was steadily deepening. Upon my replying to the telegram, I received a shaky note from Akeley with the astonishing news that he had not only never sent the wire, but had not received the letter from me to which was an obvious reply. Hasty inquiries by him at Bellows Falls had brought out that the message was deposited by a strange sandy-haired man with a curiously thick, droning voice, though more than this he could not learn. The clerk showed him the original text as scrawled in pencil by the sender, but the handwriting was wholly unfamiliar. It was noticeable that the signature was misspelled, 
A-K-E-L-Y, without the second E. Certain conjectures were inevitable, but amidst the obvious crisis he did not stop to elaborate upon them. He spoke of the death of more dogs, and the purchase of still others, and of the exchange of gunfire which had become a settled feature each moonless night. Brown's prints, and the prints of at least one or two more shod human figures, were now found regularly among the claw prints in the road, and at the back of the farmyard. It was, Akeley admitted, a pretty bad business, and before long he would probably have to go live with his California son whether or not he could sell the old place. But it was not easy to leave the only spot one could really think of as home. He must try to hang on a little longer, he said. Perhaps he could scare off the intruders, especially if he openly gave up further attempts to penetrate their secrets. Writing Akeley at once, I renewed my offers of aid, and spoke again of visiting him and helping him convince the authorities of his dire peril. In his reply he seemed less set against that plan than his past attitude would have led one to predict, but said he would like to hold off a little while longer, long enough to get his things in order and reconcile himself to the idea of leaving an almost morbidly cherished birthplace. People looked askance at his studies and speculations, and it would be better to get quietly off without setting the countryside in a turmoil and creating widespread doubts of his own sanity. He had had enough, he admitted, but he wanted to make a dignified exit if he could. This letter reached me on the 28th of August, and I prepared and mailed as encouraging a reply as I could. Apparently the encouragement had effect, for Akeley had fewer terrors to report when he acknowledged my note. He was not very optimistic, though, and expressed a belief that it was only the full moon season which was holding the creatures off. He hoped there would not be many densely cloudy nights, and talked vaguely of boarding in Brattleboro when the moon waned. Again, I wrote him encouragingly, but on September 5th there came a fresh communication which had obviously crossed my letter in the mails, and to this I could not give any hopeful response. In view of its importance, I believe I better give it in full, as best I can do from memory of the shaky script. It ran, substantially anyway, as follows. Monday. Dear Wilmarth, A rather discouraging postscript to my last. Last night was thickly cloudy, though no rain, and not a bit of moonlight got through. Things were pretty bad, and I think the end is getting near, in spite of all we've hoped. After midnight something landed on the roof of the house, and the dogs all rushed up to see what it was. I could hear them snapping and tearing around, and then one managed to get on the roof by jumping from the low L. There was a terrible fight up there, and I heard a frightful buzzing which I'll never forget. And then there was a shocking smell. About the same time bullets came through the window and nearly grazed me. I think the main line of the hill creatures had got close to the house when the dogs divided because of the roof business. What was up there I don't know yet, but I'm afraid the creatures are learning to steer better with their space wings. I put out the light and used the windows for loopholes and raked all around the house with rifle fire aimed just high enough not to hit the dogs. That seemed to end the business, but in the morning I found great pools of blood in the yard, besides pools of a green sticky stuff that had the worst odor I've ever smelled. I climbed up on the roof and found more of the sticky stuff there. Five dogs were killed. I'm afraid I hit one myself by aiming too low, for he was shot in the back. Now I'm trying to reset the panes that the shots broke, and I'm going to Brattleboro for more dogs. I guess the men at the kennels think I'm crazy. We'll drop another note later. I suppose I'll be ready for moving in a week or two, though it nearly kills me to think of it. Hastily, Akeley. 
but this was not the only letter from Akeley to cross mine. On the next morning, September 6th, still another came. This time a frantic scrawl which utterly unnerved me and put me at a loss what to say or do next. Again, I cannot do better than quote the text as faithfully as memory will let me. Tuesday. Clouds didn't break, so no moon again, and going into the wane anyhow. I'd have the house wired for electricity and put in a searchlight if I didn't know they'd cut the cables as fast as they could be mended. I think I'm going crazy. It may be that all I've ever written you is a dream or madness. It was bad enough before, but this time it is too much. They talked to me last night. They talked in that cursed buzzing voice and told me things that I dare not repeat to you. I heard them plainly above the barking of the dogs, and once when they were drowned out a human voice helped them. Keep out of this, Wilmarth. It's worse than either you or I ever suspected. They don't mean to let me get to California now. They want to take me alive, or what theoretically and mentally amounts to being alive. Not only to you, Goth, but beyond that. Away outside the galaxy, and possibly behind the last curved rim of space. I told them I wouldn't go where they wish, or in the terrible war they proposed to take me. But I'm afraid it will be no use. My place is so far out that they may come by day as well as by night before long. Six more dogs killed, and I felt presences all along the wooded parts of the road when I drove to Brattleboro today. It was a mistake for me to try to send you that phonograph record in black stone. Better smash the record before it's too late. We'll drop you another line tomorrow if I'm still here. I wish I could arrange to get my books and things to Brattleboro on board there. I would run off without anything if I could, but something inside my mind holds me back. I can slip out to Brattleboro where I ought to be safe, but I feel just as much a prisoner there as at the house, and I seem to know that I couldn't get much farther even if I dropped everything and tried. It's horrible. Don't get mixed up in this. Akeley. I did not sleep at all the night after receiving this terrible note, and was utterly baffled as to Akeley's remaining degree of sanity. The substance of the note was wholly insane, yet the manner of expression, in view of all that had gone before, had a grimly potent quality of convincingness. I made no attempt to answer it, thinking it better to wait until Akeley might have time to reply to my latest communication. Such a reply indeed came on the following day, though the fresh material in it quite overshadowed any of the points brought up by the letter nominally answered. Here is what I could recall of the text, scrawled and blotted as it was in the course of a plainly frantic and hurried composition. Wednesday, W. Your letter came, but it's no use to discuss anything any more. I'm fully resigned. I wonder that I have even enough willpower left to fight them off. Can't escape even if I were willing to give up everything and run, because they'll get me. Had a letter from them yesterday. RFD man brought it while I was at Brattleboro. Typed and postmarked, Bellows Falls. It tells what they want to do with me. I can't repeat it. Look out for yourself, too. Smash that record. Cloudy nights keep up, and moon waning all the time. Wish I dared to get help. It might brace up my willpower. But everyone who would dare to come at all would call me crazy unless there happened to be some proof. I couldn't ask people to come for no reason at all. Am all out of touch with everybody, and have been for years. But I haven't told you the worst, Wilmarth. Brace up to read this, for it will give you a shock. I'm telling the truth, though. It is this. I have seen and touched one of the things, or part of one of the things. God, man, but it's awful. 
"'It was dead, of course. "'One of the dogs had it, "'and I found it near the kennel this morning. "'I tried to save it in the woodshed "'to convince people of the whole thing, "'but it all evaporated in a few hours. "'Nothing left. "'You know, all those things in the rivers "'were seen only on the first morning after the flood. "'And here's the worst. "'I tried to photograph it for you, "'but when I developed the film, "'there wasn't anything visible except the woodshed. "'What can the thing have been made of? "'I saw it and felt it, "'and they all leave footprints.' "'It was surely made of matter. "'But what kind of matter? "'The shape can't be described. "'It was a great crab with a lot of pyramided fleshy rings "'or knots of thick ropey stuff "'covered with feelers where a man's head would be. "'That green sticky stuff is its blood, or juice, "'and there are more of them due on earth any minute. "'Walter Brown is missing. "'Hasn't been seen loafing around any of his usual corners "'in the villages hereabouts. "'I must have got him with one of my shots.' "'though the creatures always seem to try to take their dead and wounded away. "'I got into town this afternoon without any trouble, "'but I'm afraid they're beginning to hold off because they're sure of me. "'I'm writing this in Brattleboro Post Office. "'This may be goodbye. "'If it is, write my son George Goodenough Akeley, "'176 Pleasant Street, San Diego, California. "'But don't come up here. "'Write the boy if you don't hear from me in a week, "'and watch the papers for news.' I'm going to play my last two cards now, if I have the willpower left. First to try poison gas on the things. I've got the right chemicals, and I've fixed up masks for myself and the dogs. And then if that doesn't work, tell the sheriff. They can lock me up in a madhouse if they want to. It'll be better than what the other creatures would do. Perhaps I can get them to pay attention to the prints around the house. They're faint, but I can find them every morning." "'Suppose, though, police would say I faked them somehow, "'for they all think I'm a strange character. "'Must try to have a state policeman spend a night here and, and see for himself, "'though it would be just like the creatures to learn about it and hold off that night. "'They cut my wires whenever I try to telephone in the night. "'The linemen think it is very strange, "'and may testify for me if they don't go and imagine I cut them myself. "'I haven't tried to keep them repaired for over a week now.' I could get some of the ignorant people to testify for me about the reality of the horrors, but everybody laughs at what they say. And anyway, they have shunned my place for so long that they don't know any of the new events. You couldn't get one of those run-down farmers to come within a mile of my house for love or money. The mail carrier hears what they say and jokes me about it. God, if I only dared tell them how real it is. I think I'll try to get him to notice the prince, but he comes in the afternoon and they're usually about gone by that time. If I kept one by setting a box or a pan over it, he'd think surely it was a fake or a joke. I wish I hadn't gotten to be such a hermit, so folks don't drop around as they used to. I never dared show the black stone or the Kodak pictures, or play that record, to anybody but the ignorant people. The others would say I faked the whole business and could do nothing but laugh. But I may yet try showing the pictures. They give those claw prints clearly, even if the things that made them can't be photographed. What a shame nobody else saw that thing this morning before it went to nothing. But I don't know as I care. After what I've been through, a madhouse is as good a place as any. The doctors can help me make up my mind to get away from this house, and that's all that will save me. Write my son George if you don't hear soon. Goodbye. Smash that record. And don't get mixed up in this. Yours, Akeley. This letter frankly plunged me into the blackest of terror. I did not know what to say in answer, but scratched off some incoherent words of advice and encouragement 
and sent them by registered mail. I recall urging Akeley to move to Brattleboro at once and place himself under the protection of the authorities, adding that I would come to that town with the phonograph record and help convince the courts of his sanity. It was time, too, I think, I wrote, to alarm the people generally against this thing in their midst. It will be observed that at this moment of stress, my own belief in all Hakley had told and claimed was virtually complete, though I did think his failure to get a picture of the dead monster was due not to any freak of nature, but to some excited slip of his own. We'll return with Chapter 5, right after these sponsor messages. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And now, The Whisperer in Darkness, by H.P. Lovecraft, Chapter 5. Then, apparently crossing my incoherent note and reaching me Saturday afternoon, September 8th, came that curiously different and calming letter neatly typed on a new machine. That strange letter of reassurance and invitation, which must have marked so prodigious a transition in the whole nightmare drama of the Lonely Hills. Again, I will quote from memory seeking for special reasons to preserve as much of the flavor of the style as I can. It was postmarked Bellows Falls, and the signature, as well as the body of the letter, was typed, as is frequent with beginners in typing. The text, though, was marvelously accurate for a Tyro's work, and I concluded that Akeley must have used a machine at some previous period, perhaps in college. To say that the letter relieved me would only be fair, yet beneath my relief lay a substratum of uneasiness. If Akeley had been sane in his terror, was he now sane in his deliverance? And the sort of improved rapport mentioned, what was it? The entire thing implied such a diametrical reversal of Akeley's previous attitude. But here is the substance of the text, carefully transcribed from a memory in which I take some pride. Townsend, Vermont, Thursday, September 6th, 1928. My dear Wilmarth, it gives me great pleasure to be able to set you at rest regarding all the silly things I've been writing you. I say silly, although by that I mean my frightened attitude rather than my descriptions of certain phenomena. Those phenomena are real and important enough. My mistake had been in establishing an anomalous attitude toward them. I think I mentioned that my strange visitors were beginning to communicate with me and to attempt such communication. Last night this exchange of speech became actual. In response to certain signals, I admitted to the house a messenger from those outside. A fellow human, let me hasten to say. He told me much that neither you nor I had even begun to guess, and showed clearly how totally we had misjudged and misinterpreted the purpose of the Outer Ones in maintaining their secret colony on this planet. It seems that the evil legends about what they have offered to men, and what they wish in connection with the Earth, are wholly the result of an ignorant misconception of allegorical speech. Speech, of course, molded by cultural backgrounds and thought habits vastly different from anything we dream of. My own conjectures, I freely own, shot as widely past the mark as any of the guesses of illiterate farmers and savage Indians. What I had thought morbid and shameful and ignominious is in reality awesome and mind-expanding, and even glorious. 
my previous estimate being merely a phase of man's eternal tendency to hate and fear and shrink from the utterly different. Now I regret the harm I have inflicted upon these alien and incredible beings in the course of our nightly skirmishes. If only I had consented to talk peacefully and reasonably with them in the first place. But they bear me no grudge, their emotions being organized very differently from ours. It is their misfortune to have had as their human agents in Vermont some very inferior specimens. The late Walter Brown, for example. He prejudiced me vastly against them. Actually, they have never knowingly harmed men, but have often been cruelly wronged and spied upon by our species. There is a whole secret cult of evil men. A man of your mystical erudition will understand me when I link them with Hastur and the yellow sign. Devoted to the purpose of tracking them down and injuring them on behalf of monstrous powers from other dimensions. It is against these aggressors, not against normal humanity, that the drastic precautions of the outer ones are directed. Incidentally, I learned that many of our lost letters were stolen not by the outer ones, but by the emissaries of this malign cult. All that the outer ones wish of man is peace and non-molestation and an increasing intellectual rapport. This latter is absolutely necessary now that our inventions and devices are expanding our knowledge and motions, and making it more and more impossible for the outer ones' necessary outposts to exist secretly on this planet. The alien beings desire to know mankind more fully, and to have a few of mankind's philosophic and scientific leaders know more about them. With such an exchange of knowledge, all perils will pass, and a satisfactory modus vivendi can be established. The very idea of any attempt to enslave or degrade mankind is purely ridiculous. As a beginning of this improved rapport, the outer ones have naturally chosen me, whose knowledge of them is already so considerable, as their primary interpreter on earth. Much was told me last night, facts of the most stupendous and vista-opening nature, and more will be subsequently communicated to me both orally and in writing. I shall not be called upon to make any trip outside just yet, though I shall probably wish to do so later on, employing special means and transcending everything which we have hitherto been accustomed to regard as human experience. My house will be besieged no longer. Everything is reverted to normal, and the dogs will have no further occupation. In place of terror, I have been given a rich boon of knowledge and intellectual adventure which few other mortals have ever shared. The outer beings are perhaps the most marvelous organic things in or beyond all space and time members of a cosmos-wide race of which all other life forms are merely degenerate variants. They are more vegetable than animal, if these terms can be applied to the sort of matter composing them, and have a somewhat fungoid structure though the presence of a chlorophyll-like substance and a very singular nutritive system differentiate them altogether from true cormophytic fungi. Indeed, the type is composed of a form of matter totally alien to our part of space, with electrons having a wholly different vibration rate. That's why the beans cannot be photographed on the ordinary camera films and plates of our unknown universe, even though our eyes can see them. With proper knowledge, however, any good chemist could make a photographic emulsion which would record their images. The genus is unique in its ability to traverse the heatless and airless interstellar void in full corporeal form, and some of its variants cannot do this without mechanical and or curious surgical transpositions. Only a few species have the ether-resisting wings characteristic of the Vermont variety, 
"'Those inhabiting certain remote peaks in the old world were brought in other ways. "'Their external resemblance to animal life, "'and to the sort of structure we understand as material, "'is a matter of parallel evolution rather than of close kinship. "'Their brain capacity exceeds that of any other surviving life form, "'although the winged types of our hill country "'are by no means the most highly developed. "'Telepathy is their usual means of discourse, "'though we have rudimentary vocal organs which, "'after a slight operation,' for surgery is an incredibly expert and everyday thing among them, can roughly duplicate the speech of such types of organism as still use speech. Their main immediate abode is a still undiscovered and almost lightless planet at the very edge of our solar system, beyond Neptune, and the ninth in distance from the sun. It is, as we have inferred, the object mystically hinted at as Yugoth in certain ancient and forbidden writings, and it will soon be the scene of a strange focusing of thought upon our world in an effort to facilitate mental rapport. I would not be surprised if astronomers become sufficiently sensitive to these thought currents to discover Yugoth when the outer ones wish them to do so. But Yugoth, of course, is only the stepping stone. The main body of the beings inhabits strangely organized abysses wholly beyond the utmost reach of any human imagination. The space-time globule, which we recognize as the totality of all cosmic entity, is only an atom in the genuine infinity which is theirs, and as much of this infinity as any human brain can hold is eventually to be opened up to me, as it has not been to more than fifty other men since the human race has existed. You probably called this raving at first, Wilmarth, but in time you will appreciate the titanic opportunity I have stumbled upon. I want you to share as much of it as, as is possible. "'and to that end I must tell you thousands of things that won't go on paper. "'In the past I have warned you not to come and see me. "'Now that all is safe, I take pleasure in rescinding that warning and inviting you. "'Can't you make a trip up here before your college term opens? "'It would be marvelously delightful if you could. "'Bring along the phonographic record and all my letters to you as consultative data. "'We shall need them in piecing together the whole tremendous story. "'You might bring the Kodak prints, too.' since I seem to have mislaid the negatives, and my own prints, in all this recent excitement. But what a wealth of facts I have to add to all this groping and tentative material, and what a stupendous device I have to supplement my additions. Don't hesitate. I'm free from espionage now, and you will not meet anything unnatural or disturbing. Just come along and let my car meet you at the Brattleboro Station. Prepare to stay as long as you can." and I expect many an evening of discussion of things beyond all human comprehension. Don't tell anyone about it, of course, for this matter must not get to the promiscuous public. The train service to Brattleboro is not bad. You can get a timetable in Boston. Take the B&M to Greenfield, and then change for the brief remainder of the way. I suggest you taking the convenient 4.10 p.m., the standard from Boston. This gets into Greenfield at 7.35 and at 9.19 a train leaves there which reaches Brattleboro at 10.01. That's weekdays. Let me know the date, and I'll have my car on hand at the station. Pardon this type letter, but my handwriting has grown shaky of late, as you know, and I don't feel equal to long stretches of script. I got this new corona in Brattleboro yesterday. Seems to work very well. Awaiting word, and hoping to see you shortly with the phonograph record and all my letters. And the Kodak prints. I am... Yours in anticipation, Henry W. Akeley. To Albert N. Wilmarth, Esquire, Miskatonic University, Arkham, Mass. 
"'the complexity of my emotions upon reading, "'re-reading, and pondering over this strange "'and unlooked-for letter is past adequate description. I, "'I have said that I was both relieved "'and made uneasy, "'but this expresses only crudely "'the overtones of diverse "'and largely subconscious feelings "'which comprised both the relief "'and the uneasiness. "'To begin with, "'the thing was so antipodally at variance "'with the whole chain of horrors preceding it. "'The change of mood from stark terror "'to cool complacency, "'and even exultation, "'was so unheralded, "'lightning-like, and complete. "'I could scarcely believe "'that a single day could so alter "'the psychological perspective "'of one who had written "'that final frenzied bulletin of Wednesday, "'no matter what relieving disclosures "'that day might have brought. "'At certain moments "'a sense of conflicting unrealities "'made me wonder whether this whole distantly reported drama of fantastic forces were not a kind of half-illusory dream created largely within my own mind. Then I thought of the phonograph record and gave way to still greater bewilderment. The letter seemed so unlike anything which could have been expected. As I analyzed my impression, I saw that it consisted of two distinct phases. First, granting that Akeley had been sane before and was still sane, the indicated change in the situation itself was so swift and unthinkable. And secondly, the change in Akeley's own manner, attitude, and language was so vastly beyond the normal or the predictable. The man's whole personality seemed to have undergone an insidious mutation, a mutation so deep that one could scarcely reconcile his two aspects with the supposition that both represented equal sanity. Word choice, spelling, all were subtly different, and with my academic sensitiveness to prose style, I could trace profound divergences in his commonest reactions and rhythm responses. Certainly the emotional cataclysm or revelation which could produce so radical an overturn must be an extreme one indeed. Yet, in another way, the letter seemed quite characteristic of Akeley. The same old passion for infinity, the same old scholarly inquisitiveness. I could not a moment, or more than a moment, "'credit the idea of spuriousness or malign substitution. "'Did not the invitation, "'the willingness to have me test the truth of letter in person, "'prove its genuineness? "'I did not retire Saturday night, "'but sat up thinking of the shadows and marvels "'behind the letter I had received. "'My mind, aching from the quick succession "'of monstrous conceptions "'it had been forced to confront during the last four months, "'worked upon this startling new material "'in a cycle of doubt and acceptance, which repeated most of the steps experienced in facing the earlier wonders. Till long before dawn a burning interest and curiosity had begun to replace the original storm of perplexity and uneasiness. Mad or sane, metamorphosed or merely relieved, the chances were that Akeley had actually encountered some stupendous change of perspective in his hazardous research, some change at once diminishing his danger, real or fancied, and opening dizzy new vistas of cosmic and superhuman knowledge. My own zeal for the unknown flared up to meet his, and I felt myself touched by the contagion of the morbid barrier-breaking. To shake off the maddening and wearying limitations of time and space and natural law, to be linked with the vast outside, to come close to the nighted and abysmal secrets of the infinite and the ultimate, surely such a thing was worth the risk of one's life, soul, and sanity." and Akeley had said there was no longer any peril. He had invited me to visit him, instead of warning me away as before. I tingled at the thought of what he might now have to tell me. There was an almost paralyzing fascination in the thought of sitting in that lonely and lately beleaguered farmhouse 
with a man who had talked with actual emissaries from outer space. Sitting there with the terrible record and the pile of letters in which Akeley had summarized his earlier conclusions. So late Sunday morning, I telegraphed Akeley that I would meet him in Brattleboro on the following Wednesday, September 12th, if that date were convenient for him. In only one respect did I depart from his suggestions, and that concerned the choice of a train. Frankly, I did not feel like arriving in that haunted Vermont region late at night, so instead of accepting the train he chose, I telephoned the station and devised another arrangement. By rising early and taking the 8.07 a.m. standard into Boston, I could catch the 9.25 a.m. for Greenfield, arriving there at 12.22 noon. This connected exactly with the train reaching Brattleboro at 1.08 p.m., a much more comfortable hour than 10.01 p.m. for meeting Akeley and riding with him into the close-packed, secret-guarding hills. I mentioned this choice in my telegram. I was glad to learn in the reply which came toward evening that it had met with my prospective host's endorsement. His wire ran this way. Arrangement satisfactory. We'll meet the 108 train Wednesday. Don't forget record and letters and prints. Keep destination quiet. Expect great revelations. Akeley. Receded this message in direct response to the one sent to Akeley, and necessarily delivered to his house from the Townsend station, either by official messenger or by a restored telephone service, removed any lingering subconscious doubts I may have had about the authorship of the perplexing letter. My relief was marked, indeed. It was greater than I could account for at the time, since all such doubts had been rather deeply buried. But I slept soundly along that night, and was eagerly busy with preparations during the ensuing two days. Thanks for joining us for The Whisper in Darkness by H.P. Lovecraft. Be sure to join us next week Sunday night for chapters 6 and 7 at 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. And listeners, if you're enjoying our story, please do send us a review, especially you Apple listeners. We always need reviews, and they do help new listeners find us. Hope you're enjoying the story. Everyone stay safe, and we'll be back soon.